Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Survivor Girl podcast. I'm your hostess, Alice, aka the Survivor Girl. And today I'm welcoming an amazing and incredible guest, the one and only SJ. SJ, hey. welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. Um, can't wait to share my story. And I love sharing my story with survivors like me. So, so you guys. SJ is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting with one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. So I'm not going to hold back any longer. I'm going to let her share her amazing story with you. So let's go ahead and get started. SJ, what initially led you to the doctor? What was happening that had you concerned? That question is very tricky for me because I have always been the type of female where I've always been healthy and it's like people like, oh, you never get sick. So what led me to the doctors was nothing. I went to the hospital because being in my 20s and working as a government contractor in D.C., they had passed a law where they were going to do Obama insurance. And if you didn't have insurance working in D.C., they had raised the bar for the actual like pay grade. So I had an extra $10 on my pay to get insurance is what they did as a contractor. So, you know me, I just, you know, hey, okay, I just want to go spend it and live lavish. So I never thought to think that I would go through what I'm going through now. So I was in the shower one day and I was washing a normal day to go to work. And I just, you know, when I started washing around my right boob, I just started feeling a marble like hard like lump in my breast around in my areola area. So I ended up going to the hospital. The hospital ended up coming back saying that I needed to go see a breast surgeon. And that's when I started to panic. And I like went off and I went off in the ER. I actually went to the hospital over there that's like on the line of Ward off in PG County. Um, I forgot hospital that was but they just like I went off they said you need a breast surgeon and I'm like why can't you just tell me what's going on why can't you just tell me what's going on but it was the HIPAA laws and in the hospital they don't deal with cancer that's like a outsourced problem which I didn't understand then but I understand now it's like a specialty. So what I ended up doing is I called all of my family and friends and told them that I might have cancer. And everybody kept cussing me out like, no, you don't, you don't do that. You don't, you don't, you don't speak it into existence. And, and I'm like, well, I know what's going on. They're not telling me anything, stuff like that. So I, I just, I just let it go. I go to work. I talk to my boss. My boss is like, well, you might want to get a second opinion. So she pretty much recommended me to the breast care of Washington. It's a center where people with no insurance, low income can come in there and get mammograms done and extended work if need be. So when I went in there, it was a very back and forth type of process, which is a lot of back and forth what I went through. And when I went in there, I told them what was going on. They ended up doing sonogram of my breast. They seen the knot. They told me that my breasts were dense and that I was too young for a 3D mammogram. So the regular mammogram came back. It came back normal. They did another one. It came back abnormal. I went back again a month later because they told me that they wanted me to do it not on my period because a menstrual makes your breast dense. So I said, okay. I waited like a week and then they called and they scheduled an appointment. Then I waited a month. Now, mind you, the whole time this is happening, this lump is getting bigger and it's discharging at this point, like a hay straw, like yellowish color. So, you know, me, the, the grand Googler, I Googled it and it said it was a cyst. So, you know, I saw it calmed me down. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm over here telling all my coworkers, oh, it was a cyst. You know, they said they need to do a needle aspiration. Everything's fine. I'm good. Okay, great. Back to life. Nope. I 
go into the appointment a month later. They do the needle aspiration. They do the biopsy. It comes back abnormal. Then they, I guess they did it the, all the work while I was at work one day and they called me and I went into, I asked to be excused. I went to the bathroom. I was in the bathroom stall. I was listening to the nurse. The nurse told me to hold on so she can get the doctor. And at that point, I just knew something was wrong. The doctor, the phone dropped, the phone call drops. I come out the bathroom because I'm thinking, it's, and again, I'm thinking it's nothing like, oh, it's something I could probably just go in there and talk to them about and then I could just be on my way. She calls back as soon as I leave the bathroom. So I turn around, I go right back in the bathroom and in the stall. And I'm like, hello. So this time the doctor, which is Dr. Hamilton from Doctors Community Hospital, is on the other line with the nurse. So I said, you know, hey, how are you guys day? They're like, oh, it's fine. You know, are you okay? How are you feeling? I'm like, why are they asking me this? Like, I was like, you know, I'm cool outside of this lump in my breast. You know, it's not making me feel no type of way, but it is getting bigger. It is, you know, like discharging the yellow fluid, whatever, whatever, the same thing that it was doing before when I came to the office. So she said, okay. She said, Miss Jackson, you have cancer. In my mind, I'm like, are they allowed to tell you that over the phone? So, and then I, like my phone dropped out of my hand and it just hit the tile and I just hear my name being called from a distance and I'm like um I pick the phone I pick, I pick the phone back up and I'm like yes and they're like we need you to come to the office as soon as possible Dr. Hampton was actually the volunteer nurse for their clinic and then she's a black surgeon that supports black women so she took me under her wing as a patient and she had me come to the office and sign paperwork which was a program that it wasn't insurance it was just a program that covered all costs medications, anything dealing with breast cancer or cancer, period. So it took another month to get approved for that. Mind you, the lump's still getting big. I go to work. I try to work. My mental's messed up. My, I tell my boss what's going on. She tells me to log out because she sees me acting different. She takes me into the conference room. She asks me what's going on and stuff like that. And I, you know, she had already knew I had got the bad news, but she didn't know exactly like what was going on. Like she's the one who told me to leave. She's the one who told me to go handle what I need to handle, stuff like that. But she had broke down to me saying that her best friend had cancer and she's been going to her best friend's chemo appointments and stuff like that. So she's been breaking down, crying to me now. And I'm like crying and it's just like a whole crying fest going on in, in the conference room and all my coworkers are looking in the room like, what's going on? I still did try to work through chemo. I didn't get far. I think I worked all the way up to my second round and then that was, it was over. I got different treatment. I remember getting different treatment by going into work and my hair was gone. I was bald and people were so used to me having hair. So it's just like the look, the different treatment, the reality, my family, the friends. It's like once cancer hit, it was a reality check for me. And it showed me who wasn't there because honestly, it didn't show me who was there because nobody was there. So what made me go to the, to the to the doctors was just basically a lump popping up out of nowhere and me being confused and being a Virgo you never start something that you that you're not going to finish so with me in my mind it was always like is it cancer or isn't it cancer or what am I going to do I know my family is not here I know there's a there is a generational curse on my family and there's no way that I'm going to get them to help me like what am I going to do and that's and, and that's I don't know I don't know if that answered your question because I don't know <laughs> if I have an answer to your question. So what was the process, the full process of treatment for you? And you said you had cancer. What exact, you said you had breast cancer. Did you have the full name of what kind of cancer you have? I had triple negative breast cancer, uh, her negative, which means that it's the most dangerous cancer, breast cancer that they have. And my doctor 
told me when I went to her appointment before I started chemo, she said, your cancer, you know, it's just the luck of the draw. She said, if you had had kids and, and your milk would have developed, it would have pushed that out of your milk duds. But because you're single and you have no kids, well, I wasn't really technically single at that time, but what she's saying is no kids. I didn't have any kids or milk to push it out of the milk duds or move it along. It pretty much got stuck. And there was a cyst in front of the mass. When they did the needle aspiration and they collapsed it, they seen the mass behind it. So the mass was hiding itself, but it was getting bigger because it was super aggressive. It went from stage one to stage three in a month and a half. By the time I went to chemo treatment, the mass was pushing out of my skin where I could you could see the mass and feel the mass through my bra. It was very hard like a rock. I was very scared. Doctor told me five years prior, they did not have a cure for triple negative breast cancer. Her negative so five years prior it would have automatically killed me and the process of what they put me through was I had six rounds of radiation I had the the red devil which I forgot the long terminology name for that that was the strongest and then I had three other chemo mixes with that and the way my chemo worked with me was is I would take it one day and then a week later almost to the day I would feel like death and then by the time I feel back like myself again it was time for chemo again so after my six rounds I was very depressed. I was very, I was very like jaded with the world, with the medical team because I watched people ring bells and get celebrated and I got none of that. So when I did my last chemo treatment, they were just like, okay, Miss Jackson, this is your last treatment. Have a good day. And I hope you enjoy your life and congratulations on finishing and you know, but it was never, oh yeah, come on, uh, ring the bell. Congratulations. This and that. Like they see my struggle. I had friends that had to call Ubers for me to get back and forth because my car got repossessed and about to lose my house. And my mom's on a drinking binge because she's an alcoholic and my dad's just selfish and he doesn't understand and he doesn't care to understand. And my sister's dealing with mental health and I just, but I knew that. So that is what made me sink or swim. It was just, it was that for me. It was sink or swim. Then my God kid's mom, Brenda, came in the picture and my God, and I used to, I, I kind of jaded her a little bit because of it. She was like, she had no babysitter. So I watched my God kids all through my treatment. And she would, she worked on Andrews Air Force Base, which is Andrews Air Force Base is what gave me cancer, doing the AFFF firefighter foam drills on Andrews Air Force Base. And the foam seeped into the ground, into the water system. So me getting in the shower and washing up like my doctor said the luck of the draw bad luck of the draw them end up getting cancer so when the kids came over that was like my little glimpse of hope like you know they didn't look at me weird because my hair was gone they didn't look at me weird because I was super skinny I was just got mommy Sonia like I'm at got mommy Sonia's house like we over here but Brenda checked in and made sure they ate and you know did this and that but in my mind, I kind of got jaded with that because I'm like, you can come over here to make sure the kids eat and are straight, but you see me damn near close to death watching these kids and you're not making sure that I'm straight. You're not making sure that I'm eating or I'm doing what I need to do in order to survive. You just bypass my issue and deal with your own. So that made me stronger and it made me appreciate my god kids and their innocent souls as not knowing what's going on around them you know so what would you say is the most normal thing you wanted back during your treatment what's something that you truly missed as far as like maybe hanging out with friends or anything of that nature 
for me, it was food. <laughs> I'm not even a foodie. But when you go through cancer and everything turns into tasting like metal and you don't get the opportunity to, to taste the flavors and to enjoy it. And as soon as it hits the pit of your stomach, you feel like you're going to throw up. And they give you these meds to try to keep your food down that don't work. And, you know, the weakness and, and all of that, I don't miss. But what I missed at that moment was food because I felt like I wanted to eat to get my energy, but I couldn't eat because I didn't have energy to eat. <laughs> so it was kind of weird. Right. To me. It was weird to me how that kind of hit me like that. I never had that feeling before. I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't know how, and I didn't have a support system. If anything that I missed, I would say it would be a support system, but I barely had one in order to miss. I can't miss something I never had, but I do know that that's something that's very relevant and prominent in, in healing is having people around you and having hands to do for you and having the emotional connections in order to keep your mind stimulated and off of what you're dealing with. I never got that. So the only thing I could pretty much miss was food. So when were you declared cancer-free for all of this treatment? I was declared cancer-free on March 5th, which is actually my brother's birthday. March 5th, 2018 is when that was. So now you've completed treatment, you've been declared cancer-free and everything seemed to be going okay. But now you started having some new health. What the hell was going on with you? What was happening and what led you back to the doctors in with new concerns? The new concerns started in the midst of doing radiation. And when I expressed my concerns about how I was feeling during radiation, they told me it was normal. When I stopped doing chemo, it's crazy how when you stop doing chemo, you still have effects by it. Like when I stopped doing chemo, my eyelashes and my eyebrows fell out. And I was like, whoa. But my hair was growing back in my hair, my legs, my arms, and all around my body was growing back. But my eyelashes and my eyebrows fell out <laughs> after doing chemo. So when that happened, I thought it was like, okay, well, maybe I still have chemo. And I kept going to get checked. And they're like, oh, you're doing radiation. It makes you sleepy. It makes you tired. It's going to make you fatigued and, and stuff like that. So I said, okay. But when I was sitting at work one day, I didn't feel right. And I knew it was just more than radiation aftermath. I just knew something was wrong. I could walk three steps. I didn't have a breath. I couldn't get sleep. I was restless. I was barely using the bathroom. So I honestly thought my kidneys were going bad. But when I went into the hospital, they told me nothing was wrong with me. They checked me out. That was at doctor's community. I checked myself back in the doctor's community. They now told me that they feel like it's my gallbladder. So they did surgery on my gallbladder and put in a a, a gall, it's a coli bag, a coli bag that drained infectious fluids that were coming out of my gallbladder. Speeded up, I ended up leaving the hospital and I went to doctors, not doctors, I went to Washington Hospital Center in DC. I only went to doctors community because that's where my, that's where uh, Regina Hampton was. That was where her office was. But my chemo was in Brandywine by my house with Yomi Lee. So I, you know, me, I'm like, I don't know who I need to, like initially she was the one who started it and then this. So I ended up going back to doctors. Doctors was really trying to kill me. So I said, you know what? No, I'm going to go to Washington Hospital Center. They wouldn't check me in because they did not have any beds on the heart floor. So when I came back to doctors, they checked me in. I stayed there for like two weeks until doctors had a bed. In the meantime of them, doctors was doing vigorous checks and tests. And they came to the conclusion that my heart was failing and that 
I needed to go to a heart hospital, which was Washington Hospital Center. When I asked them what killed my heart, they said that it was chemo. But I didn't start feeling the effects until I started doing radiation. So I was very confused. Finally, uh, ambulance paramedics came to get me to transfer me out. And there was a lady named Miko. And Miko was, she was cool. She was funny. She made me forget the situation I was in at the moment. And she started asking me about me. She's like, not to be nosy, but I read your chart and I don't see what's going on on you versus reading your chart. If I read the chart, I would think I'm, we came to come get like a 60, or she was like an 82 year old woman. She said, but when I came in the room and I seen you, I was confused. And she said, I'm a little nosy. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I ride with patients all the time. And mind you, doctors, community is in Lanham, Maryland, in the Washington Hospital Center, was in Washington, D.C. So it was the middle of the night. It was like 2 a.m., no traffic. And then we were just like in the back of the ambulance and she's just asking me all these questions. So when we were like, she's riding me through the hospital on the um, hospital, like the little stretcher that, you know, bed, she's like, your hair is gorgeous. Oh my God. Like, oh my God, your hair is gorgeous. Like she just loved my hair. And like, like we built a bond off of that. So when we got into there, she started asking me more questions. I started telling her, I don't have any family. I don't have anyone to come in here and make sure that I'm okay. So she, when we got to Washington Hospital Center, she said, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to, every time I come and drop a patient off, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to make sure you're straight. And she did. That was the crazy part. She did. So one night, everything was rushed. There was a guy named Mike. He was my photographer when I was modeling in my 20s. He stepped up and became like a guardian angel at the moment when I didn't have any help. He reached out to on Facebook because I was venting on Facebook. And he started coming to the hospital. He started being like the known face. All the nurses known him. Everybody known him. So like when I started to get sicker and I started to slip into a coma, they had the conversation with me about having a direct narrative or a will or anything that's basically giving somebody some type of order to do with my life. At that moment in time, I told them, I do not want to be resuscitated. I said, let me go. They signed the paper to resuscitate me. Why? I don't know. But my dad, he brought my dad to the hospital. Now, mind you, I have not seen my dad in years. He, the last time I seen him, it was before I even had cancer, before I got sick, before any of this, he seen me and known me to be normal. So him walking into the room and seeing me like he's seeing me, this is before the LVAD, before any of this. So he sees me in the room, the doctor's standing there, the guy Mike is standing there sweating, like just super just lost. He's just like, wow, like I didn't think things would get this far type of thing. So he went to go get my dad. I, you know, gave him my phone. I told him this is his number, you know, call him from your number. And I'm actually skipping a step. Actually, before all of this happened, I actually went home. Before I went into Doctors Community Hospital, I was home and they had sent me home with a, a wearable defibrillator and the coli drain and then now I had a pick line with millerone in it so before all of that happened I was at home like a walking like drug like they had me on everything like I, I had a wearable defibrillator uh pick line with millerone that's supposed to help my heart but it's making me worse I'm walking around my legs look like elephantitis my stomach look like looks like I'm pregnant like if I had pictures and that's probably why I didn't take any pictures because it was like horrifying to me but when I finally got back into Washington Hospital Center, I actually went to a friend's house. She invited me to a travel party. And I said, what is a travel party? I had no idea what it was. I told her that I couldn't, I, I was too weak to come over there. I mustered up every strength in me to go to her house because I knew that if I had to stay, I had to 
stayed at my home by myself, I was going to die. It was no if, ands, buts about it. I was going to die. So I got my stuff. I got in the car. I drove to her house. I stayed there. Her mom woke me up because I went to sleep, apparently. And she woke me up and I didn't feel like I was asleep. I felt like I didn't get any sleep. She's like, you haven't eaten in two days. You haven't drinking anything in two days. You haven't gone to the bathroom in two days. And I said, what, what do you mean? I was like, I, I was like, I haven't even been to sleep. I was restless. She said, you've been asleep for two days. I said, well, really? She was like, you've been asleep for two days. I need you to eat. So I came downstairs and her mom made me sweet potatoes, string beans, and steak. She asked me what was my favorite meal. I gave her my favorite meal. She made my favorite meal. She was like, you need to eat every drop. Like, I was like, okay. I forced it down. Right when I forced it down, Five minutes later, it forced right back up. I asked for a bag, so I started throwing up. They called my, they called Mike, which now I call my uncle. Well, I didn't call them, they called him, and I'm throwing up. They're like, you need to come get her. Something's wrong. And they were like, her mom used to pray for me all the time, stuff like that. I used to work at the hospital where I was around the corner from, uh, Mount Vernon, and they took me there, but that is a rehab hospital. So they said, if you don't want to die, I suggest you go to Fairfax. So my uncle's speeding down the road going to Fairfax. And I get to Fairfax and they're trying to do a workup. And I told them that I already had a workup and I can barely talk. I can barely anything. So now they drug me. Boom. I'm out. I'm every once in a while I'm waking up. Now I have Candace, which is an old friend from high school that's involved. Now, you know, Mike is like panicking. And right before I go back into my sedation, I told Mike, I said, you need to get me out of here. I'm going to die. I said, you need to get me to Washington Hospital Center. I'm going to die. And I cannot drive there because I'm going to die. He cried. And then. And he called the doctor. I used my last little bit of strength to cuss the doctor out. Next thing I know, they're waking me up. They're unplugging me from stuff. And they're telling me, oh, we're going to affect you from to Washington Hospital Center. We contacted the doctor over there. They know your situation. Um, we don't know your situation here. So your, your best bet would be to go to the heart hospital. Shaking my head. I'm like, okay, I feel terrible. I'm in pain. My body is just shutting down. I feel it. Uh, I get into the ambulance and they're trying to keep me conscious. They're like, look at the, look at the buildings and look at, look look at this and look at that and I just feel like I'm going back into my inner child like 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 I'm being talked to coached and, and stuff and I'm like man it, this is really how life is you, you're born you don't know anything you die you start to lose like everything that you've learned out your life so we get to Washington Hospital Center they're running they're racing me in there they're running they're hooking me up they're doing this they're doing that Mike calls my dad now we're back to this part Mike calls my dad my dad shows up I'm crying the doctor comes in he says we don't have much time we need you to sign this paper stating that you want to get this life-saving device it's called Nelvad they gave me like the ins and outs of it I don't even remember I remember being too weak to sign so Mike signed and I'd never even made the decision I told Mike to make the decision because I knew if I had made a decision I wouldn't be here talking to you right now my dad was crying Mike was crying people were crying waiting for me to make this decision like he literally said it's life or death and after Mike signed the paperwork everything calmed down all the nurses left everybody left they sedated me then I don't remember anything because apparently the sedation turned into a real coma the real coma turned into them rushing me into heart surgery heart surgery turned into the LVAD the LVAD turned into me supposedly waking up as a vegetable the vegetable is supposed to be my, my dad moving all my stuff into a handicapped unit and changing my whole life Miko came in right before I slipped into a coma 
because she had to drop a patient off. And she said, I told Miko, I said, I'm scared. And I didn't have a lot of breath to talk. So it was like, I couldn't really say too much. So she she said, you know, and I tell her still to this day, like she's, she's on my Facebook. I always tell her like, you are my guardian angel. I don't know who you are. And she didn't do much. That's the thing. She did not do much. She, I told her I, did, I was scared. I said, I'm scared. And she said, you know what, Sonia? The way life works is you, you're born, you're, you're given the life that you're given and people get sick, things happen. And, but right now, this is not your fight. God is either going to take you or he's going to leave you. And that's the last thing I remember. And then the next thing I remember is waking up. Hello, today's date is, president is, your name is, this is, that is, this is, that is. And I'm like, what? Been asleep for three weeks. What? Threw me all the way off. So when I woke up, I woke up frantic because I had a tube down my throat. I, I didn't know how to breathe with the tube. So I was about to kill myself. And the ambulance, you know, not the ambulance, but all the paramedics and all the people came in, the nurses, doctors, everybody's coming in, telling me to calm down, coaching me through breathing, telling me my lungs aren't developed enough in order to take the tube out. So two days later, I was still tripping. So they ended up taking the tube out. So they, they, you know, they watched me for a couple of days. I was on so many meds. I had to fight the doctors in order for them to take the coli drain out because apparently the cold, my gallbladder was only inflamed because my heart was failing. So the key factor was my heart failing. So everything else looked like it was the problem. But just like I got featured in the Los Angeles Times when I said it at the crow, a workup is a disguise for letting you die. Because when I asked the doctor, what is a workup? They said a workup is something that they do. They work up from the smallest matter to the most important matter. Even if they know what the problem is, they will not jump to the problem. They will do a workup. Why? Because the insurance make them do that. It do it that way. So regardless if my heart was failing, they had to go to my kidneys, my gallbladder, my this, my that. And then now, oh, she's about to die. It's her heart. Now the insurance is rushed and paid for and this and that. And healthcare is all around money. If you don't have money, they won't move. So I sat on standby a lot of the times because I didn't have insurance. So, and now I have state insurance and state insurance is like pulling teeth. They come in my room. They're telling me what's going on. So basically I'm about to die because insurance doesn't want to do the job so that's why i say a workup is basically working up for you to die if they feel like you can die before that workup gets to save your life it's a win for them they never have to pay out ever again for you because you're dead so that's why i am a big advocate for myself and i call out a lot of these doctors because they're human too and they make mistakes Miss Lady, you've been through cancer, you have an artificial heart, all of this. What would you say has changed the most for you after everything that you've been through? Perspective. My perspective has changed. Perspective about people, perspective about healthcare, perspective about, you know, elderly. And like, you know, I'm not even elderly yet, but I'm but I deal with elderly problems. So as a 37-year-old woman dealing with elderly problems, it's like I see why a lot of people are upset. Like their elders are being abused because I was abused in the hospital. It, it's just it, it amazes me and gives me a different perspective of how the world is ran. Before I got cancer. I thought everybody had a good, they had, they, they could be good and there's good inside of everyone, but that's not true. That's not true. Just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you're a good person. Just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you do your job. Just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you like people. And I had to learn that being in the hospital, being 
mistreated and, and misguided. And, and just because you're your family doesn't mean that they, they're going to be there. And just because they say they're your friends doesn't mean that they're going to make sure that you're okay. So these are all the lessons that I had to learn. And now I have to deal with the trauma on top of learning how to compartmentalize people. Not because I want to, it's because that's just the way life, way of life goes. So what would you tell someone who is currently dealing with cancer to help them get through the, the worst days of it? I'd say to make sure you have a support system. And if you don't, seek out one, seek out support rooms and support groups and Facebook, Instagram, anywhere you can meet a person that's going through something like you, get a part of it. Because I was supposed to have a nurse navigator that was supposed to help me get into those groups and get the right people around me in order to support me going through that. And they failed me. Their nurse navigator had quit and they never got a new one. So when I got done with cancer, Dr. Hamilton, and was like, oh, this is the nurse navigator. If you have any questions, ask her. I said, she said, didn't you get all the support groups and all the stuff that the navigators do? I said, no. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, I got cancer in 2017. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like she quit and it took us a long time to get another nurse navigator. And I said, well, now I'm dealing with my heart. It's not cancer. It's my heart. And as of right now, I've been through three nurse navigators through Cedar sinai a heart center. Why? Because Megan expressed to me, which was the original one that I met, she felt like she couldn't help her patients. She felt like her job was not important. And she felt like every suggestion that she made that was in the best interest of the patient wasn't hurt. So she quit. There was another lady who told me to lie on my government applications in order to get help. She ended up quitting. And then there's a new person now. And it's now it's like I'm desensitized to the medical field trying to give me a helping hand because it's just the job for them. It's not a passion. It's a job. And then even still, the ones that come into the position with the passion, like Megan, she doesn't get the notoriety. She's getting written up because she's for the patient and not for the pharmaceuticals or not for the medical field or not for how they do things, not for the procedures. And that's when I seen the problems come. A support system is, is detrimental to a person going through this. So definitely you would suggest advocate for yourself and get a good support system around. Correct. People make your moment. Mm -hmm. Even though you're sitting in here by, I'm sitting in my room by myself. This is a moment, but I'm not going to remember this 10 years from now. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I remember that day I was sitting in my room. It, what makes it a moment is me sitting in my room talking to you on this podcast that I can go back to 10 years from now and listen to. That is the moment. Sitting in the room and having a good conversation with someone and laughing and joking. And that creates the moment, not where you are at the time. I don't remember half the times that I've been by myself, but it's a moment, but it's not the moment. It's not the moment that I remember. People make your moments. Family makes your moments. Kids make your moments. Activities make your moments. But how do you do activities? How do you get there? You have to interact with people. So if you have a bad interact with, interaction with people, you're not going to have a good interaction with what you're dealing with because that's stressful. The people around you are stressful and the whole environment just becomes stressful. But if I'm going through stress and then I get all these good people around me, and they want to come over here and dance and do TikToks and get my mind off of what I'm dealing with. Come over here and cook with me and try to, you know, find fun ways to try different foods in order for me to eat and keep my my weight up and my energy going and laughing and games and music. If I had that, maybe it'd be a little bit different. 
but I didn't have that. I had passing out in the shower, my mom going on the drinking binge, coming back, acting like she didn't do anything, me taking her to the hospital because she got roofied. Like those are those are the moments that I remember, but they're not pleasant for me. So that's very important is advocating for yourself and support because even advocating for yourself isn't always going to do it. You need people around you. If people see that you don't have anybody, that's the first mind is to take advantage. Their first mind is to, you know what? I don't need to respect her. Nobody around her is respecting her. So I'm going to come in and, and wear this mask, act like I care, and then get what I need. And then I'm going to leave. And then I'm stuck with the turmoil, the the problems, the issues, and, and the damage. And I take that damage and I go and I try to build a relationship over here. And then I try to ignore that damage. And then it spills over and then it goes right back to square one. So having a support system can also be like a therapist or just somebody that you can kind of vent to in the times of your hard, your hard place, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, doesn't matter. But that's the outlet. And at that time, I didn't know anything about therapy and how to reach therapy and how to get a therapist and how to all that stuff wasn't readily available for me because I'm too busy depressed in my bed barely can walk barely can shower barely can eat I can't do anything because I'm in here by myself I battled cancer by myself by myself like I still to this day look at myself like bitch how did you battle cancer by yourself like for real (laughs) but I did I battled cancer by myself but let me say this as I wrap this up you are one of the most amazing incredible, unbelievable, phenomenal people that I've ever met. I know that you've been through hell and back, but look at you now and look at the amazing, incredible life that you've put out there for yourself and the things that you've accomplished, things that you've overcome, the turmoil and and trials and tribulations you have come through. You are an incredible example to so many people, to other people with artificial hearts, to people that have battled cancer, people that have gone through hell and high water. You are an amazing person, SJ. So don't ever look down on yourself and everything that you've gone through and see anything but the positive light that you shine on the world. That's what I want you to remember as I wrap up this podcast is the great and beautiful brilliance and light that you put out into the world. Hang on to that as you move forward in the world. Damn the negatives because those will always keep coming. Just remember to keep being a good heart and being a good person that you are. Artificial heart or not, you still got a great heart, woman. (laughs) You know what I always say? Having a mechanical heart is sometimes better than having a real heart. Just to complete the statement i know people listening are probably thinking like wow her chest is empty no i actually do actually still have my heart they have a mechanical pump that is actually pushing the blood from the left ventricular over to all my organs and it's ran on the outside of my body basically like a computer attached with two batteries which is the power source but what i when i say i have an artificial heart i feel like having the mechanical heart you can take pieces out replace it and fix it you can't fix a normal heart you have to replace it but they can fix a mechanical heart and I feel like that's what I'm doing in the process of waiting for a new heart I'm fixing and repairing my artificial heart because you can move and change circuits and wires but can you change and move organs so I'll just leave it like that And I appreciate you so much, SJ. You are an incredible human being. Your story is phenomenal. Ladies and gentlemen, this is SJ. I'm so glad that you guys got to hear her story and hear her living testament. She's an amazing person. I thank you all again for listening. I see you all back here next time. Bye, everyone.